Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. And as always, we are sponsored by Running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino. This is episode 153, and we have a little bit of a change of plan. So we did an interview with Adam Friedman, and we're going to air part one of that this week, part two next week. The plan this week was actually to do uh, audio from our first ever live meet and greet. Uh, on Monday, October 28th, we hung out at Oodipol's Brewing Company. We actually did a recording of a podcast. We weren't sure how the audio would go. Turns out it was pretty rough. So it's a, it's a really cool place, really high ceilings, not very acoustically sound. And uh, as we re-listened to the podcast, it was really pretty tough and it would have been kind of painful for you all to listen to. Uh, so some good stuff in there. Uh, we had a chance to interview Steve Webb, who is one of our Rec Poker Nation guys. He went pretty deep, uh, ended up with $39,000 out of the Fall Poker Classic main event, an $1,100 buy-in. So we interviewed him, but it, we just couldn't really hear it very well. So we're going to have him on at another time, and we'll talk more. But we just had a great time at this meet and greet. Uh, we had a number of people show up, so thanks to those of you who did. Super fun to get to know each other on a bit more, uh, a deeper level. And we're looking at doing something again probably at the same place and even doing like a play and learn where we'll actually have some cards out, we'll play some hands uh, and we'll talk about those hands and learn a little bit. Uh, should be a good time. So watch for details. If you're not part of the newsletter, I would recommend uh, go to rec.poker at the bottom of the page. Uh, you can sign up for our newsletter. I'm not going to give away your email addresses to anybody, but if you sign up there, then you'll get the regular newsletter. That's probably the best way to stay informed. Uh, we try to update the the Facebook group. We try to update Twitter, all of those things. But easily, the the best way is either through the website or uh, getting on that email newsletter. So do that. Um, I want to mention uh, Player of the Week at Running Aces, uh, the top four getting bonus lammers. It was a short week this week because of the big tournament they had. But Jeff Jorgensen, Troy Withers, Doug Sanders, and Tony Wilson took down the top four spots. Uh, a couple of other quick announcements. This Wednesday, October 30th, uh, from 8 to 9.30 p.m., we're going to be discussing poker tells. We're going to be watching some video of things and discussing those things. This is a conversation that you can be part of if you're a member of the Rec Poker community. Even if you're on a free trial basis, you can plug in there and check it out. So uh, go to rec.poker, figure out how to become a member, even on a trial basis, and you can be part of that conversation. And then we record it and we make it available back to members. So that's this Wednesday. Uh, next Wednesday, the November 6th, we'll be looking at a hand history, a number of hand histories from Chris Jones will be leading that conversation. And then our third monthly Poker Stars home game next November, next Wednesday, November 6th, 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Uh, make sure you check out the website. Uh, you can go to home game and, uh, and find out the details on how to register for that deal. It's always a super fun time. So check that out. Uh, also, quick, NFL Survivor Pool. We still have 11 people going on to next week. So congratulations to those of you who are still in that. Go to rec.poker. Check out uh, how to access the Discord channel, which is just a free chatting discussion area, which is super fun. Check out the membership site and just stay plugged in however you can. So as I mentioned, uh, we did a conversation with Adam Friedman, who is a three-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner. Uh, he's very good at Texas No Limit Hold'em. Uh, I covered him in the MSPT when he actually won uh, the MSPT in Cleveland. But he's really most known for his mixed games. And uh, a number of you out in Rec Poker Nation have been saying, let's talk about mixed games. 
And I'm not a mixed game player, so it's very difficult for me to do that. So uh, I rounded up a few people who play mixed games to conduct more of the interview, more of the discussion. And Adam was gracious enough to give us an hour and a half of his time, which is phenomenal. And so we broke it out into two podcasts. So this week you're going to hear part one with Adam Friedman. And then next week you'll hear, obviously, part two. So without further ado, uh, here is that conversation that we had with Adam Friedman. All right, guys. Well, as promised, we are here with three-time World Series of Poker bracelet winner Adam Friedman, who is willing to take some time out of his schedule. Now, I know most of you out there know who Adam is, but for those of you who don't, uh, let me give you a little bit of his credentials to prove that we don't just bring anybody onto the show. Um, <laughs> I actually had a chance to meet Adam a few months ago. Uh, I was doing some poker reporting for the MSPT, and Adam was out in, out at the Jack in Cleveland, uh, where the, the two prior events at the Jack, at the main events, Adam took third, and he took third. And this time he did a little better. He won the thing. So I had a chance to chat with Adam a little bit. Uh, he's got like $350,000 in MSPT, 13 main event caches. But uh, where you really know him from is probably from the World Series of Poker. Uh, he has 32 World Series of Poker caches for just under $2 million. He's got three bracelets. Uh, one of them was in a $5,000 seven-card stud high-low eight or better event. And the other two were back-to-back. -back. The last two years, he won the $10,000 Dealer's Choice six-handed events. He's also had another second place in the 1500 seven-card stud event. And this year, he finished 150th in the main event. So he does know how to play Hold'em, as well as all of these other mixed games. So uh, first of all, Adam, just thank you so much, man. You're, you're kind of poker royalty. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So let me let me start off. This is just the Q&A thing, but uh, I'm just, as a guy who doesn't play mixed games, I'm just kind of curious right away, when you talk about all the accolades of things that you've accomplished uh, over the years and you're still a pretty young guy, what's kind of, what stands out, I guess, as of right now, as far as like the, the one thing or the one period of time that's really just you're most proud of so far? I tell people this all the time. Uh, in fact, I said it after when I won my third brace of the summer. My number one thing by far I've never been broke in poker. Hmm. Uh, if you're doing, if you're playing this for a living, the first thing above all else, you need to stay in money. Plain and simple. If you don't have money, you can't play. Uh, it's as simple as that. Uh, there have been several very, very talented players over the years. They have no idea how to manage money. They play over their heads when they lose and they steam. They play much bigger than they're supposed to. They chase their losses. You know, they just take the day off. The game's probably going to be there tomorrow. And that's one thing people never seem to learn. A lot of people, um, and I've seen a lot. You've seen a lot of really good players throughout the years. Uh, they've been either they've had to retire or they've had to borrow, uh, or they've had to get a backer of some sort. Uh, but uh, just a lot of stories. Uh, I've seen way too many examples. Uh, people, some people, I'd rather probably not mention because I mean, that's a sore spot for a lot of people when their name gets mentioned about people that are either yeah. unbusted. So. So is that something just, just kind of how you're wired? You've always been good at managing money, or is that something you had to be intentional about? Uh, well, I'm very fortunate. My dad's been able to teach me a lot of uh, money lessons. Uh, I've got, I'm very lucky I had a tutor in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I've, I've made some mistakes. I don't think it, no one's going to be perfect in this regard, but yeah, uh, I've been very good. I don't think I've ever really repeated anything. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't gamble in the pit. Uh, I don't sports i mean like I, I bet lunch bets i bet dinner bets with sports uh <laughs> if i'm if i'm with a buddy or whatever and we're at, and we're at the um, like for thursday night, i got a buddy we, or thursday night football we're literally betting uh 
we're literally making twenty dollars of the or the, uh, on first quarter on the first uh, first quarter first half of the game. So I mean, to me, that's not, I mean that's just like you know the, whoever loses basically paying the dinner bill, which is nothing. Right. Uh, so I don't bet. It's not like I'm one of these guys who bets five hundred a game or whatever a thousand a game for some people or whatever else people bet. It's just it doesn't do anything for me. Um, All right. So so let me let me prime the pump on the mixed game. So. What if if it's even possible? What's your favorite mixed game? Like if you had to, if you had an opportunity to play one one game, what would it be? Um, that answer has switched so many times over the years. <laughs> uh, it's a, to, to me, it's like asking what's your favorite Beatles song. Uh, the answer switches every three minutes. What's what better? Is it to, what is it today? Uh, what it would be my favorite? I get yeah today. I'll I'll say today it's Bedusi and Bedusi. Uh, historically, I mean, it's seven card stud, but unfortunately the game has been lo- losing its sight and popularity. I mean, I'm, I'm like considered a super young kid in seven card stud still. I mean, but I, I think seven card stud is the most fascinating, uh, limit game at all. It's the most, uh, int- it's the most intricate game, uh, the most thought provoking game. Um, but you know, some people, they don't necessarily want to, I guess, uh, delve into too much detail in some of these games. And I think, I think it's a truly phenomenal game. That's Unfortunately, lost been lost in popularity uh, over the years, but hopefully uh, we can uh, bring some card stud back uh, eventually. But who knows? Yeah, let's see what happens. Well, let, let's see uh, who's on the panel. Who wants to fire away here? Carter Jones. Yeah, Adam. Thanks again. Um, so just to kind of start it off, you know, I think a lot of poker players, uh, recreational players in particular. Uh, they know No Limit Hold'em. It's a game they know and a game they play. And I think people dabble in PLO and there's a pretty decent crossover there. Um, you know, I think there's definitely people on this panel that do play mixed games. Um, I play them and I, I love them. I've grown to love them a lot more and want to continue to learn. Uh, my first question is, which of the games do you think is a good place to start if you're going to go from being a No Limit Hold'em slash PLO player and you're going to say, okay, let's explore mixed games. Where, uh, where do you think is a good place to start and why? Uh, so the first game or two I would start. Um, I, I think if you're going with, uh, if you're coming from a No Limit Home and, and Pot Limit Omaha background, I'd probably start with uh, some of the basic horse games uh, to start with. Uh, specifically, I'd go with the flop game since you come from a flop background. Uh, I would probably stick with Limit Hold'em in, uh, in Omaha or better. Uh, like I said, me personally, uh, like I said, I've been pl- I guess I've been playing professionally since I've been tw- since I was twenty. Let's see, 22, 20, or I'm sorry, uh, since I was twenty three. I take that back. Uh, but uh, coming up, starting playing cards around two thousand one, two thousand two, I came mostly. From, I, I came predominantly from a limit holdem background. Uh, limit limit holdem was the drug of choice uh, back then uh, that people played. Uh, but you know, again, limit holdem obviously is a much different game than limit holdem. I mean, you got to, unfortunately, you got to be able to show down as much as you can't get as creative for the most part. I mean, but aggression pays off like, like any other game. Um, but, you know, if you generally keep playing better cards than somebody else who's playing cards from all over the place, in Limit Hold'em, you'll get rewarded much more than uh, you would in No Limit Hold'em. Uh, Omaha, the better, I'd say similar concepts. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you know, if you have an ideal, you know, you, you know what you're supposed to be playing PLO. And, you know, it's, when you're playing Omaha, the better, like you start with a basic background. You generally want to play hands that are, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's pretty easy to go in terms of, you know, what your starting hand requirements should be. Uh, and as you play, you see more flops. You see what you see, what hands people are playing with, what hands they're losing with. And usually when you're playing in a game, uh, the one thing I generally uh, would tell a lot of people in general is no matter what game you're playing in, there's usually a consistent winner or two in that game uh, overall that you play with. Whether it's a game you're playing once a week, twice a week, 
you know, bi-monthly, whatever it is. Usually there's a consistent winner or two, what they're doing. Try to pay attention to what that person is doing. Why is that person winning in the game? But then see the people who were consistently losing. Why are they losing? Uh, are they playing too many hands? Are, are they just not folding early enough on the early street, uh, on the later streets when the double bets come and play on the turn river? Uh, are they just play, consistently playing second best hands? Are they not paying attention to the boards? Are they not paying attention to the action that's going on? Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, I, I, again, like I, it was easier for me. Like I said, I, so when people generally ask me, like getting back to the original question, um, it's my guess that limit hold'em in uh, Omaha are the best. But granted, like I said, I come from a limit hold'em background initially, so uh, I think it's very possible you, there might be other people coming from a, uh, a no limit hold'em and PLO background. They might give you a different answer. Um, but I, I believe those are probably the easiest games to initially start with and go from there. But I, I think you should try to really, to really not try to learn more than one or two games at a time because it can be very difficult. Certain concepts, uh, whether it's basic or complex uh, issues. If you try to learn four, five, ten games at once, it can be very hard. Even over the years, I don't recall really having to, trying to learn more than probably. I don't recall having to learn more than two games at a time. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I guess that's the best I would uh, say for that. You have a follow up, Carter? Yeah, sure. So um, thank you. That's an awesome answer. So you mentioned that you started then with limit hold'em. What was it that brought you to the game of mix and took you away from you know the games that were more popular at that time, which it sounds like limit them was that and then you know a little bit of no limit mixed in there what what was the initial attraction to mix for you um well like i said i started playing i guess professionally in 2000 uh, late 2005 early 2006 i didn't i mean i dabbled a mix uh, i i occasionally in 07 and 08 um but i didn't predominantly start playing that and really when i'm playing cash games really until about oh what do i want to say about 2000 10, 11, 12. So it was a really a while. Uh, like so I, I initially came from a limit holding background in terms of playing cash. And then, uh, then I went over to, and then when I started going to LA, when games were predominant at commerce all over the place, there were a million games going on there. Unlike, unlike today where there's just not as much, uh, it was all limit holding and no limit holding. And I just saw much money people were making no limit holding. So I progressed to no limit holding. And then eventually there was always a bunch of stud games going on. So if I, if I couldn't get into a game right away, I'd try to play a little stud and try to get a feel for that. And then eventually, I said, I'm looking at mixed games uh, over the years, and then just somehow I had a knack for playing a lot of games at once. I, I can't even give you a rhyme or reason really how it went. Um, I'm not saying like I'm this. I'm not saying like I'm a true natural talent or anything like that. But I, I, I just seem to understand what the basic principles were in games. Uh, I've always been able to understand pretty quickly. Um, you know, like I, I, just, I knew I thought I knew what decent starting hands were, and. I always tried playing tight and tried paying attention to who I thought who the winners in the games were and try to learn from them. Excellent. John Somsky, do you have something? Yeah. You know, I, I'm a big uh, mixed game fan. I uh, basically learned most of the mixed games online. Uh, played every game Poker Stars had to offer at least, you know, a few thousand hands of every game uh, before Black Friday. Yeah, since, I, I remember that. That's uh, that seems like another. That seems like in a galaxy far, far away. Well, exactly. Well, and the issue is now, uh, the mixed games tend to be particularly for the cash games. They tend to be spread at the lowest level is a mid tier, middle limit game. When you're talking live, you, it's really you can't find like a four eight or a three six uh, mixed game that people can 
get used to and get their feet wet. You can find that for just straight hold'em, and maybe you can find that for like an Omaha eight. But you know, you're never going to find a Badugi. You're never going to find a uh, Badesi. You're not going to find any of the other more out there games at that level. Uh, and you certainly can't hardly find them spread in a, a casino. So how would you suggest that a rec player with a limited budget who wants to start with small stakes games learn mixed games? Well, uh, I would say the best thing I would suggest to is uh, uh, where, uh, all right, you're from North Carolina, correct? Uh, I'm from Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. Okay. Well, I mean, if there's a bunch of people in your community, uh, if you can get to, you know, go to someone's house and just start playing all the games, if you just invite, you know, four, five, six guys, just invite them over to your house or go to some, or see if you can go to someone else's house, you know, start a weekly game, uh, you know, play for, you know, $2, $4, $4, $8. Uh, I, you know, like I said, if you, you know, I obviously, I think if you look in towns, if you're like whether it's Minnesota or somewhere down South, Midwest, it's going to be incredibly difficult to find. And I truly, I couldn't even tell you which casinos uh, spread out of the smaller limit games. So I think the best you can do is just try to just ask around, see who's interested. Uh, like when you're in Minnesota, I, I assume you're near the Minneapolis area. So uh, if you're at the uh, running aces in the, oh, well, I'm drawing a blank in the other casino there. Canterbury. Ask, yeah. In Canterbury. Uh, yeah. Just ask around, see who might be willing to play uh, once a week, uh, whether it's meeting up at the casino or me or, uh, uh, or just meeting in, a, meeting in a home game. Uh, I, so, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I think uh, where we're at, uh, obviously, in 2019, is you're gonna, if you really want to happen, you probably got to do a lot of initiative. You just got to be willing to ask around and see who might be interested. Beyond that, it's, 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 it's unfortunately, it's, 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 it sort of sucks where we're at, but I, 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 that would be my best, uh, best suggestion. Just ask around, see who's interested. You're going to obviously hear no much more than you, than you are in yes, but you know, it's like a numbers game, like with uh, women. You're probably going to hear no, no more than you're going to hear yes, but all you got to do is just eventually just keep asking around and just go from there. So, so then as a corollary to that question, um, in order to try to drum up business for all of the, the mixed games, what about playing mixed games will make you a better overall poker player? In other words, what from playing a mixed game is going to improve your Hold'em or your PLO game? You know, it's it's where I've t- I've been telling Hold'em players for I, I tell like s- some of my friends who predominantly, if not exclusively, uh, only play normal home tournaments. I think they're out of their minds not to play mix. Uh, when I just started playing all the other games, I found noticeable improvements. Like I'm able somehow to take a concept that maybe I can't necessarily explain that in study or better helps me out in Nolan Hold'em tournament or something when I'm playing Nolan Hold'em. Huh? This this, this somehow helps me out in Badoogie. I I don't know what it is. Maybe I find myself more nutted in certain spots. Uh, I just certain concepts, some stuff I can't necessarily explain. You just see how certain concepts or certain things can actually correlate or translate to different games uh, across the entire build. And, and just all of a sudden you're like, Oh, okay. So, so if you, there's like a game, maybe you're really good at all of a sudden it's like, huh, how can this necessarily translate to another game? You all, so all you can really do is just play a ton of hands of almost every, you know, of the games that you're in. Uh, and then also you just start seeing tiny things like, huh, I, I wouldn't have guessed that, Concept they could work in this game, but it would yeah, it's going to work in another game. Just somehow you just see things that just end up happen that just end up working across uh, multiple games, and some things uh, don't have anything to do with one another. So, but you know, but that's when you just through trial and error mostly. So, so as a mixed game rube, do you ever just find yourself playing a game and like forgetting what game you're playing? 
Um, <laughs> it seems like that's something that could easily happen. No, I, I mean, like, <laughs> like just just, hey, a, just a momentary brain fart. Like, what am I playing here? No, well, once in a blue moon, if I'm playing like out in LA or uh, Bellagio, <laughs> like if we're starting a game, uh, whoever uh, whoever wins the high card who or, who uh, puts the games in a certain order, once in a blue moon, they're not paying attention. They actually put Bedusi like Bedusi and Bedusi next to each other. So maybe uh, you weren't paying attention that there was a game switch, and yeah. all of a sudden you find that you're on the second draw and Bedusi. And uh, you've got an ace, and you've got a good three card, like ace, deuce, four, or something. You're like, oh crap! It's <laughs> so yeah, but no. I mean, for the most part, I mean, if you got four cards in your hand, it's pretty hard to excuse uh, yeah. uh, either Badugi or Omaha or Badugi or Omaha to better from like deuce seven triple draw uh, uh, or something in that regards, or any stud game. So for the most part, people try to organize it to where right. uh, four card draw, four card draw games or or Omaha. It's it's always going from like maybe a five, maybe a stud game. To a four card game, or to, then to a five card game. You don't always want to keep it just in case it switches, uh, which sucks. But you know it does happen occasionally. Everyone's made that mistake, myself included. Let me uh, let me give an opportunity, uh, Brian or Dave or Rob. Any of you guys have anything? Hey, this is Brian. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit, just to uh, more specifically a dealer's choice tournament. What explain your thought process when it's it's your turn to, to to pick the game? As far as you know, are you looking to play a game that you're kind of just feeling it that day, or are you more you know looking towards what your opponent's weaknesses are, or just what's your overall thought process when you're deciding which game to pick in Dealer's Choice? <clears throat> well, uh, feel I can I I can honestly say feel is. Basically, none of it. Like, if I'm feeling really good about a game that day, that's got nothing to do with my uh, my deciding on which games to pick. So normally, when I'm playing, uh, uh, especially when I'm playing with people who maybe I haven't really played with before, or played very minimal with, uh, I, I try to follow a pretty specific formula. Uh, I don't prefer to give every game a choice because, like, when I've, I've had a couple of interviews in the past, I don't like to give everything away. But initially, for instance, I do like to stick with that high low no qualifier. Uh, the reason why I like clicking that game initially. Uh, to me, it's a very basic concept. I think it's the most basic game in, in, in the world uh, with principles. You don't, unlike Studied or Better, where a hand like Split Kings will obviously have value. Not a ton like Stud High, but it'll definitely have value. It, it's, 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 a, it's a piece of crap. It is absolute stone garbage in that game. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen over the years, for whatever reason, they play Split Kings like they're the nuts. Uh, I did an interview for, uh, on, uh, on uh, Mike Mattisell's uh, The Mouthpiece. And he was telling me about how he busted, a, I think, a $1,500 dealer's choice three, four years ago. Some guy who put in about a million bets was split kings and somehow backdoored into a seven low when he had like, when there was like a 97, 97.5 to a 98% chance that he, uh, he was going to get half of the whole pot on fourth or fifth street. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people that automatically are playing really high cards, I- I'm looking not to get knocked out. So if people want to play high cards and I'm always going to get half the pot, that's great. I- I've got no risk. Uh, and I'm going to be chopping a decent amount, but then I'm going to be scooping. When I scoop, I mean, I, it's it was zero risk. So I'm trying to play games with zero risk. People that don't maybe understand, uh, maybe basic starting hands and with like split pot draw games, or uh, you know, I'll do that. But then I want to keep mixing around. I want to see if I can find people's weaknesses, uh, depending on how things are going. Uh, if I know, like when we get later on to a tournament. Maybe I don't want. Maybe there are a couple of people I don't necessarily want breaking from my table. So maybe I'll try to keep them around for a tiny bit longer, uh, depending. I know on who might be coming over on one table break, which I, I just started doing that this year a little bit. Uh, and that, and I, I think that's probably pretty hard, difficult to 
do, but I, I was trying to pay attention to that when I could. Uh, but for the most part, I'm trying to do games where I'm at very little risk and I've got a lot of free will opportunities. Any follow-up to that, Brian? Okay. Uh, Dave M., do you got anything you wanted to share? There you go. You're unmuted, Dave. Or you're mute. There we go. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, with Adam, uh, man, I would just say uh, I'm a fan of you, man. Uh, I've been I've been kind of following you ever since uh, you were on TV, uh, and like every year, do you have a huge score? Um, and this last one, uh, this last summer, I know that uh, it's six handed, but like the final nine players in that event are like some of the most elite players. Um, so I'll assume that that was your favorite bracelet, but which is your favorite and why? And can you tell me about this, this last year's final table uh, with like Nick Shulman and, uh, Oh, I'm aware. It, like, it was an incredible, yeah, yeah. I, it was a very, uh, it was a very difficult final table. I mean, even the one guy, even the two guys people weren't aware of, I've been playing cash with Michael McKenna for years who finished fifth. And, uh, and then my buddy, David Moskowitz, uh, I've been playing with him for the last few years over the Hawaiian Gardens in L.A. I mean, he's a so-called amateur, and yet he's better than 99.5% of players who I've ever played with. Uh, he's just a phenomenal all-around player. Uh, but yeah, my favorite bracelet. Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't ever think I, I'd have a favorite. I, I think each bracelet had its own meaning to me. Uh, I think the first one was when I won the Stud 8 uh, back in 2012. It was a lot of relief uh, in terms of I finally got the, I guess, the, the, proverbial, the proverbial monkey off my back, so to speak. Right. Uh, just Okay, it's like, wow, okay, finally got that done. And uh, like I really pride myself really on my stud games and my overall mix. So when I won the Dealer's Choice uh, last year, uh, it was like, oh, good, I finally won one. I was, I was thrilled. Like, you know, like six years, it almost seemed like an eternity, which – and nothing should be a given by any stretch. but. I think I have a pretty good overall idea where I stand overall in comparison to a lot of players. And I'm very, and sometimes people might say it comes off as cocky or arrogant and I can see why that's the case, but I'm very objective. I'm very, I, it can come off as a little forceful, but I'm very honest and truthful. And like I, I have an idea which players I don't want to play with. I know which ones I don't mind playing with some people who some people think are superstars. Like I want to play them. And some people who people think this person's not as good. I'm like, no, you're wrong. Like, like, so the two people, <laughs> like, like, like the two people, like the final table, people never heard of them. Like, Oh wow! I've never heard of these. I've never heard of David or Michael. I would love to play with those guys as opposed to some name players who I don't want to mention uh, and uh, maybe downgrade. But like those guys, you know, they're brutal. I mean, they're just absolute beasts. I mean, I, when I initially started playing with Michael years ago, I thought, oh man, I love playing with this guy. He's doing stuff. I, I mean, I understand, but then I thought there was some real genius to some of the stuff he was doing uh, that was much different than what a lot of uh, pros are, would do in certain spots. Uh, and I've come to really respect this play. And, yeah, David is just—he's as cool as a cucumber. Like when you're playing with him, uh, just, you don't ever see—you never see him get. I've never seen the guy get rattled ever, uh, or get really upset. Like if he's running really bad and just losing every hand when I'm playing cash for them. And the few times I've played, and he doesn't play many tournaments. And I mean, and even when he does, he just whatever. He just goes along the flow. It's like whatever. Uh, something I, I tried getting much better at. I mean, I still got a ways to go, but compared to how I used to act, uh, he's one of the people I truly try to emulate and act like. Uh, someone I really respect overall, not just in poker but in life. Um, and then I guess winning this year, 
I, I guess I guess if you do the whole coin flip, maybe this one in a certain way. It you know, it's maybe the fact that only in the fifty years of the World Series, I think only seven or eight people have ever gone back to back in an event, and to specifically do it in the ten K Dealer's Choice, which I believe is, the, and I, and I don't say it because I want, I believe it's the toughest event because you have to play twenty games. You're playing some people's best games uh, where they're just going to be they're, they're better than you, and you have to have basic common card sense in games you're not as experienced in. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's, there's a reason why you're not going to see a big spike in the year because it can be very intimidating when you're playing 20 different games. I mean, in fact, the first, the first time I played the uh, dealer's choice in 2000, it's been around now for five years. Uh, when I played the 10 K version of it, I think there were two games I'd never played before, but I knew I, I had a basic understanding of what I should be doing. I don't think I'd ever played pot limit triple draw before. And maybe I played pot limit hold them before, but if I had, I hadn't played it in like 10 years. Uh, as well as five card draw, you, just, you know, it's just a game that's not played as much. But I, I have a basic understanding of what I'm supposed to be playing. You know, just, I'm not going to get out of line in those games. Any any follow up to that, David? All? Uh, <clears throat> no, man. That's that's pretty awesome. I, I guess it's uh, I guess when you're constantly playing in the mixed games like that, you're always up against players that you're respecting because. It draws such talent. Um, so you're seeing players, like you said, David Moskowitz, obviously an, an underrated player because he's not uh, obviously as big a name, but I know he's been around for a long time. But all these uh, all these other guys that you're playing with, um, that's just, it's, you're like amongst the best, you know? So it's <laughs> like you're playing against all of these elite players too. It's just, uh, man, this has got to be such a cool feeling, man. I, I I will say when I start when I once I start I was starting to, I was able to get very fortunate I was able to progress very quickly uh, in the cash game ranks in terms of uh, what limit I was playing I I progressed very quickly uh, I I don't deny this like back probably in 05 and 06 I was starstruck by a lot of these players especially because to me these guys were like athletes at first like oh my god it's this person I'm playing with this guy and this guy and that guy and uh, yeah, the more I guess the more I start playing, you know, you start, you know, you don't get you get that starstruck feeling feeling out of you a little bit. Um, Fortune, I don't think is really anybody I really, you know, I, I guess it'd be great if I got to somehow play with Doyle one more time. Um, that would be awesome if I could do that. I mean, even this year, like this year in the uh, 50k, uh, I was able to play the 50k for the third time this year. Uh, Phil Ivy and I were sitting next to each other. We, we sat next to each other for the first six, seven, eight hours or something like that uh, on day three. And uh, you know, we were just goofy. We were just goofy and joking around, which I've never seen that. You've never seen him talking that much before. But I uh, was ta- talking some personal stories, which uh, I don't really care to to disclose. But you know, it's a uh, you know, eventually you know you got to get over that because if uh, you let people like, oh my god, it's this person, that person, you know, they'll they'll sense it and take advantage of you uh, eventually, and like they should. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, eventually you know it goes away, and then you just try to treat them like anybody else. Well, and now you're in the world where people are going to be starstruck playing with you, and that might be uncomfortable or weird, but that's sort of the reality of it because of your your track record. So I know Carter has a question, but I want to quick quiz you, Adam, all right? Just for those of us who don't know all the names of the games, what are the 20 games that you play in the dealer's choice? Oh, crap. I got to name all 20 off hand. <laughs> how, how many do you know? Just, just start giving us the names of as many as you can remember. If you have a list in front of you, if you can check them off, it might I be don't. Easier. I don't. I'm just... All right. All right. Hold on. I, I, I want to think this out logically. All right. Give me a second. <laughs> okay, uh, five games of horse. Uh, Limit Hold'em, Omaha, you're better. Raz, stud high, stud eight. 
eight game would then include No Limit Hold'em, Hot Limit Omaha, Deuce of Seven Triple Draw. Ten game would include Badoogie and No Limit Deuce of Seven. So there's ten more games left. Uh, <laughs> all right, give, give me one second. Ace the five triple draw, Badoosie Badesi. Pot limit triple draw, no limit single. Uh, I already said no limit single draw, right? Yeah, I said no limit single draw. Okay, so that's fourteen. Uh, let's see. Pot limit hold'em is fifteen. Um. Well, wow, that's really sad. Uh, uh, hold on, hold on. If I can't think of this next ten seconds, I'll, I'll maybe I'll just randomly spin them out of the next hour when I'm randomly thinking. And, about and it. this guy won back to back bracelets. I mean, seriously. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, <laughs> I'm I, kidding. I just no, it's, it's, it's an amazing amount of games. It's just an amazing something I can't even put my arms around. Like. Like how do how do you know and, and play well 20, 20 different games? That's oh, uh, pot, pot limit Omaha eight or better. Big O, uh, big uh, Big O's pot limit as well. That's seventeen. Uh, <laughs> oh, stud high low no qualifier is eighteen. Uh, we don't play Archie. I don't know why we don't play that or double board Omaha or uh, ace five. Uh, I, th- I, th- I already I think I already said ace to five when I listed the draw games. Uh, I, I mean I, I could look it up as we're doing. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's yeah, fine. Yeah. I think I, don't I, think I got you said Bedusi Bedesi. Uh, I, I I think I did just ace. I said the draw game. I said ace to five, uh, <laughs> ace to five, Bedusi, Bedesi, and uh, Pot Limit Triple Draw. Those are the first four I mentioned. Crap, I can't think of the other two. All right, whatever. You'll, you'll come up with them. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot. Carter, what did you have? Sure. So, Adam, I've, I've told all these guys in this chat this story enough times that it bores them. But when I was down <laughs> there for the World Series this year, I got a sneak peek into some uh, Bellagio Bobby's room action. It was super, super cool. So, um, the question is, is involved with that. What's your favorite place to play? Um, and what's like maybe the craziest mixed game, uh, session that you've ever played? Uh, I hate to say, I think what's become my favorite room lately has been, uh, at the Hawaiian gardens, uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, when you're playing the bigger mixed games there, there's two tables and, uh, it's in their own room. It's incredibly quiet. You can't hear, I mean, unlike Bobby's room where they keep the door open. Uh, the, the doors, I mean, it, it's a window glass, but it's shut and you can't hear anything from outside, uh, which is fantastic. So you're just, literally, it's just the people who are in the room, uh, which I, I really enjoy playing there. I've been fortunate to be able to play in Bobby's room a few times. Um, I've never been able to play anywhere. I don't have the money to play in their biggest game. Uh, I just, I don't know if I have it in me to go through, uh, the swings that are even that big in that game. Uh, uh, so but yeah, I would definitely say the Hawaiian Gardens right now has become my favorite, especially when I'm playing the, uh, in the private room there. Uh, and the craziest session I ever had, um, why not? The longest session I ever had was about 10, 11 years ago. Uh, was when I was when I was playing Nolan Holden predominantly. I was playing a twenty forty Nolan game of Commerce. I played fifty three hours straight. Um, the craziest session I had. I remember I had a session once in Atlantic City. Uh, it was, it was playing a uh, one two hundred mix, uh, and I, I don't think I'd ever had swings as wild as the one I'd, I'd gone through in a session. Uh, I think I went from up fi- up five figures to down five figures to up five down five, and somehow I ended up a six thousand dollar winner, which is never supposed to happen. That's too. I mean, I, I was I was it was just, I would just win like ten thousand like thirty minutes, which you're not supposed to do playing one two hundred. Uh, it's it was just really freakish what was going on. I, I've never. I mean, if that was two four hundred. That would be pretty wild for two four hundred to go through uh, fifty big swings uh, two or three times. 
I was going through 100 big swings, uh, 100, 100, big, 100 big bet swings, which never happens. Uh, it was a goofy session like four or five years ago. Uh, and I made up my mind. I just saw the session the way it was going. I said, the next time I get to an upswing, I'm going to end near the top of it and call it a night. And that's what I did. Uh, and then I played a lot bigger the next day, I remember. Uh, <laughs> because there were certain individuals in that game I wanted, I wanted to play with. So, yeah, it was just uh, it was really freakish in terms of uh, – I, I've never just the big bets. I was going up and down. I, I'd never seen that before. It was like some sort of like standard deviation to the third or fourth level, which didn't seem possible mathematically speaking. But it, it happened. <laughs> so, John, did you have something? I uh, no, nothing in particular. I was just gonna mention the big O games when he was rattling through his uh, games, but he mentioned those already. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so yeah, I saw you come off mute. That's what it was for. Yeah, I, I did pick Big O a lot in the Dealer's Choice. Uh, I've been playing a ton of Big O out in LA. Uh, it's it's a game that they play a lot in uh, out in the mix game. Uh, I really enjoy playing the game. Uh, it plays much differently than Pot Lemon Omelette or better. Uh, certain concepts that you just you really have to adhere to uh, uh, in Big O, whereas you can you can get away with certain things in Pot Lemon Omelette better that you're just not going to be able to do in Big O. And people that don't make that adjustment uh, are just going to get crushed in that game long term. Let me, uh, I want to open this up to make sure Brian, I can't see, he, he, he's on the phone, so I can't see if he's raising his hand or anything. Brian, did you have anything else you wanted to ask? We Sorry, uh, I'm picking up my kid at the moment, so I'll get back to you. <laughs> do, do you want to ask any any advice about your kids? Or <laughs> I, 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 I can't do that one. That I know, I know. I know. That. John, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, so what, uh, of all of the games, which one do you think uh, mixed games could someone pick up and get either the least disadvantage or the most advantage compared to the overall, you know, your average poker player who's not used to playing the games? In other words, which one with a little bit of effort could you increase your average, your skill edge over someone who's new to the game? The easiest. Uh, all right, I hear you. Uh, so I answer, okay, there was a similar question like this earlier, and um, what I would say, I still think Limit Hold'em and Omaha are better. If I were to guess, for the easiest uh, are the easiest ones to learn. Um, like, so are you play enough, you're going to realize that, yeah, you know, hands. You know, if if people are going to just take really bad hands against you over and over and Limit Hold'em, your your results are going to show uh, long term. If someone's consistently playing any ace rag and Limit Hold'em, and you're just you know you're playing tight solid, you're waiting for the ace king, ace queens you're going to get the money more. Uh, you're going to take some sick beats along the way uh, because that's just the nature of limit. Uh, but you're going to get the money much more in the long term if you uh, keep playing better cards in the hole. You know, Omaha had a better, someone who's consistently playing second best hands, someone who's playing, you know, you know, hands that really aren't good, hands like ace, three, ten, nine, like an early position, Omaha had a better. You know, hands that just aren't, you know, it's not really good high value. It's, you're going to run to ace, deuce. No, when you run ace, deuce, they're probably going to have a better high card than you. Uh, or another low card, you just find yourself uh, getting buried a lot uh, with his hands. Um, I think stud games are much more intricate on the whole. I think I think draw games would be the last route I would go uh, specifically um, because I think there's a certain meta game uh, that involved. I, I, it happens really when, when you start playing higher and higher in reality. But there's a, there is a certain meta game in terms of uh, what you're supposed to be doing. But in terms of basic concepts like deuce of seven, have a deuce. That's uh, one thing I would say. Have a deuce. Uh, some people just don't. They, it's it's amazing. I mean, 
But the only hand I don't play a deuce under the gun with is like is is three four eight, and usually I got another three four eight to go with it. So at least I got one dead card to go with it. Uh, but even a hand like three five eight, I don't play under the gun uh, when I'm playing six handed. Uh, it's just a hand that's just going to lose money long term, in my opinion, from that in that spot. Uh, so I mean, all I can say is I, in truth, I couldn't even tell you what I, I couldn't even tell you what books are out there to be honest with you uh, in terms of just learning basics. But there should there's, there's there's still a decent amount of information which. You know, you know, something that'll just give you the basics. And for the most part, even when I looked, read a couple books back then, and I didn't read many, I thought the books back then at least gave you a basic, like, almost like a basic standard of what to start with. You know, are you going to get, like, super complex uh, things that No, because there's just some of the people who are writing this stuff, that, I mean, no offense, but some of these authors, they, they, they can't even give you uh, good uh, complex uh, answers to some of these questions because I think some of them end up writing because they can't beat the biggest games. Uh even looking right now, I can see a couple of random books that I haven't opened up in 15 years or whatever. Um, you know, a guy like you know, David Sklansky, you know, he just, if you put him in a, in a, in a bigger game, he's just going to get buried because even he doesn't know the answers. He's never been able to adjust the bigger games. But in terms of when you're playing low limit, you can adjust by playing just really ABC standard overall. And then, you know, if you start to get the occasion, you can start to play a little bigger. You know, you'll, you're going to advance and grow your game uh, as it goes on. So... But yeah, I think in general, like I said, I, I would try to stick with flop games overall. And as that goes on, stud, I would I would try to veer towards draw games last. Uh, not only because I think they're probably the most difficult to learn, but it's probably I, I think on the whole, if I were to guess, they're probably spread the least. So um, that that would be my thought process in terms of that. So, so piggybacking on that a little bit, you know, how how do you learn? I guess what is the process that you follow yourself to learn? I know you're a student of the game. And you've got all these games that you're trying to improve on. For you at this level, is there an active learning process, or is it more about getting reps and kind of you know working through some of those yourselves? Do you have a a learning community, or kind of how do you improve your game? I guess off the felt, or is it primarily just putting yourself in situations? Me, I mean, I I play. Um, I mean, it's weird. Half the games I've learned, I've had to learn while playing one two hundred, two four hundred mix. I mean. Uh, I remember when I went down to uh, Florida for uh, the, what was it? Well, they had some big series right after the World Series, like two, three years ago. And uh, Archie had just been invented. Uh, maybe this is four years ago already. Uh, they said it was in the mix. I told the guys I had never played the game before. I said if I can just sit out one round and just watch, uh, and if I can watch somebody play, because usually we're all pretty friendly with one another. So yeah, like I remember I was playing with Robin's Rocky. He just let me. He just let me. Uh, I, he was just able to let me sweat him for like six hands. After six hands, I was on my own, um, uh, and I was playing super tight. Which I think when any time a new you play a new game, you're supposed to play super tight. If you expect to be able to play every hand right away, just burn that money. Uh, just try to, what you think is really try to play a really super tight range overall. And you know when you play more hands, you'll get more experience, uh, and that'll give you a shot. To, and just again, like I mentioned before. Whoever you think the best player to is in the game, watch them play. Look at the hands they're turning over. Uh, if they're playing really tight in spots, if they're loose in certain spots, why is that? Why is it that person's winning? Why is the person who consistently loses in this game? Why is that person losing? And that's the one thing I would generally say in general. Which uh, when I'm watching recreational players, they're not trying to pay. They're not really paying attention to what other people are doing as much, which I think is very important to do. Well, that's what I was going to ask. As you as you play all of these games and. You know, obviously, there's probably differences among each game, but are there common themes among you know the biggest mistakes that you that you see people making? Is it 
you know, are there themes? Is it generally that, you know, people are just playing too many hands or playing too many hands out of position there, whether too it's bets, bet sizing, you know, what, what are those themes of the most common mistakes that less experienced players are making? Uh, in limit games, it's absolutely, uh, I'd say the lower limit, it's absolutely playing way too many hands. Uh, tight really is right uh, when you're playing those games. Now, obviously, uh, when I'm playing some of the games I'm playing, if you're playing super tight and people, and you're playing with a lot, a lot of players I play with, they're always going to know what you have, so you, you just can't get paid off. So you have to do things a little bit differently when you play higher. But when you're playing, uh, when you're playing like, like in the lower limit levels, if you, just more or less, if you literally know the starting hands you're supposed to be playing, you will print money. And just you know, be type it aggressive. When you think you have the best hand, bet. Don't you know? You know, don't be afraid of a. You know, I mean, occasionally you're going to bet the worst hand. It mm-hmm. happens. Um, you know, it's like uh, I. I mean, you don't see people getting too many raises. Uh, at least I, I remember. Uh, you know, when I first started playing, like three dollar, six dollar limit hold'em, for instance, I still remember I have a hand that sticks out to me where uh, someone raised someone raised lane position. I remember I three bet uh, ace queen. The flop went ace high. Bet all three straights. I'm like, all right, I got the nuts. I call him. Somehow that person had ace king, um, which I would like, huh? Mm-hmm. I never got check raised ever in that spot. It was amazing. So, yeah, I mean, occasionally you're going to uh, bet the worst hand, but if you just keep playing very tight, solid overall, you're going to, and low limit, you're going to get the money because I guarantee you, so I, I, if I had to guess, I don't think my guess times haven't changed really too much. And so in some of those, uh, some of the games you guys play in, you probably see some guys playing a third, 50% of the hands. Mm hmm. They're not dragging in the money long term. I can promise you that. That's good. Abe, John, Rob. Hey, hey, hey this is Brian. Go ahead, Brian. This is Brian. <clears throat> so earlier, uh, you had mentioned that you know a lot of your friends that uh, are no limit tournament players, you you tell them all the time that you know they should be playing more mixed games, and uh, I think a lot of the listeners to the podcast tend to be more familiar with no limit hold'em and and some pot limit Omaha. So for those listeners that are that are you know paying attention right now, that um, what's what's the, if you had a if you had a one line sales job of you know hey this is why I think you should play you know mixed games uh, as a no limit hold'em player, what would that be? Two cards, no fun. Four cards, more fun. <laughs> That's funny. I've said that many a time myself. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean. People that are playing mixed are generally smiling and happy and having a good time. People that are playing no limit, they're all serious. Uh, it's, it's, they're just boring to watch. Uh, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I play a, a decent amount of no limit hold. I don't play a ton of no limit hold in tournaments. I probably play maybe, I don't know, what do I play? Maybe 20 no limit hold tournaments a year, maybe, if I were to guess. Uh, you know, so I don't play an extraordinary amount by any stretch. Uh, but no, I mean, you know, people are just way too serious. They're not having as good a time. And mix, you know, it, it keeps your brain active, especially when you go from one game, you play eight, six, six, seven, eight hands, go to the next game, play a new game, you keep things fresh. People are generally having a good time, with the exception of maybe one or two that are getting, you know, basically completely clocked in the head, but that happens to everybody uh, from time to time. Any follow-up to that, Brian, at all? Uh, no, I, I, I guess I was looking more for – um, I agree with them that mixed games are, are more fun. You're constantly doing different things. And I play mixed games a lot to keep my brain active and thinking about, you know, why people are betting the hands that they're betting and try to apply them to different games. I was more looking for, like, from a strategy perspective, why why would someone who primarily plays No Limit Hold'em or No Limit Hold'em tournaments want to start playing in mixed games besides the fun factor? 
Honestly, I, I think the reason why a lot of people have eventually gone from no limit holding to mixed games, uh, it's I, I really I really do believe the players I've seen it's been sheer boredom. I, I really believe that's been the answer after a while. They just get bored playing the exact same thing over and over and over, and they really do want to keep it fresh. Uh, or maybe for some people, maybe they think no limit holding has passed them by and they want to try something new. Uh, but for the most part, I, I, I believe it's because of boredom is the reason why most players I know, uh, and myself included, I've gone from no limit holding to playing mixed games. And they and, and and they want to keep and they want to try to have a, 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 at least a little bit of a time, whereas like I said, people are just way too serious about themselves and no limit holding. All right, so we're going to cut off the conversation there. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation in next week's episode. Uh, but thanks to Adam Friedman, thanks to the panelists for jumping on there. Uh, it's a fantastic discussion. I learned a ton already, and it's making me more excited to maybe try to play some mixed games in the future, at least in some home game situations. It seems like it'd be pretty fun. Uh, just uh, as we wrap up here for this week, thanks again to Running Aces Racetrack and Casino. They are our official sponsor. Reminder that tomorrow night, uh, if you're listening to this when it releases, but October 30th, we're going to be doing a conversation on Poker Tells. If you're a member, you can jump into that conversation, and then you'll also get access to the video afterward. Next Wednesday, November 6th, a couple of things. At 6.30 p.m., we're going to be talking about hand histories, looking at some examples there. And then at 8 o'clock next Wednesday is our Poker Stars home game. Uh, and that's that's a growing sort of fun way to connect with people. It's free of charge, but we give away some prizes. Uh, three copies of the Andrew Brokus book will be going to the top three players. So check that out. Get uh, plugged into the newsletter. Go to rec.poker. Sign up for the newsletter. It's the best way to stay connected. If you have any questions, any comments, any concerns at all, reach out to me on Twitter, Rec Poker. Reach out on Facebook group, Rec Poker, or email Steve at recpokertraining.com. Uh, I'm very accessible, very open to answering any questions you have. Uh, if you're interested in some poker coaching, we got some of that happening now too. I, I failed to mention that on the front end, um, but that's another thing that we're, we're looking at and I'm starting to put together some offering things. We've got some students coming on board. So if you're fairly new to the game, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to, to uh, learn the game at pretty reason reasonable prices. Uh, we got some group coaching, some individual coaching. I'll do some seminars. A lot of this is going to be the fundamental stuff like I'll start with the fundamentals of poker math. Why do we even care about math and how do we even use it? So before we get into all the intensity of the math, let's just figure out the concepts, make sure you understand kind of the basic constructs of how poker math is important in your tournament poker game. So reach out uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever it is. Thanks again, Adam Friedman. Uh, part two next week. Take care.